You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 346 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. Excited about this week's episode. We're going to be talking about the best portrait lenses for beginners, enthusiasts in, and pros. And I'll break cool. down uh, what my favorite lenses are to use and why you should uh, be working with these particular uh, lenses and pros and cons of all the different focal lengths and builds and etc etc well i'm keen so. to get stuck into that yes. so um yes. but before we do what have you been up to uh so um i wanted to have a quick chat about the one percenters before we dive into this week's topic and by one percenters i mean when we're doing photos it's all the little things that like a lot of photographers will get to a point where they learn the basics of photography how mm. to expose the shot maybe a bit on composition how to get the image sharp and then after they get to a certain point the sort of the learning stops and they'll just keep shooting that but there is a next level and this is uh, the level that I want you all to, to, to transcend, to get to, to – what's the word, transcend? Trans- get, go, to, to get to, aspire to. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that um, – you know, you think that people don't notice, but people do notice those little one percenters. They might might not say, oh, I love how this image is so beautifully color balanced or I love the simplicity in the composition or I love the very natural lighting. They might not say that, but they'll see that your image stands out. They won't know why, it just stands out. And I had a really uh, proud uh, gold mama moment in uh, with the, the gold community when uh, one of the members um, was saying that they. it's true that most people don't notice uh, the one percenters, uh, but what this uh, particular member was saying is that they went back a few years and found a portrait that was taken of them by a professional photographer. Mm-hmm. And at the time of having this portrait taken, this person thought, yeah, that's a nice portrait. Mm. But now that with the um, level of education that they've had and all the, uh, the podcast episodes that they've listened to and all the training that they've done in the goal community, they could spot dozens and dozens of areas where this uh, image could be improved. And so mm. this image was shared and all the gold members um, got online and uh, pointed out all the uh, common errors that mm. they saw in this image and they basically <laughs> CC'd the image. And mm-hmm. so um, what I'm saying is 
there are lots of business models that will show you that um, uh, how you can uh, sell uh, average looking images, but mm. you're at the bottom end of the wedge there, Val. Yeah. You're competing with everyone down at the bottom. Yeah. And if you want to take your photography to the next level where you're making more money out of your images and you're going to specialize in different areas, then these are really important and things to notice and to work on. So working on making sure that your lighting uh, looks great and looks natural. So, you know, the greatest compliment someone can pay you is they can um, look at the image and go, um, was this shot with natural light or did you use flash or continue? I can't tell. Mm. You can't tell how it was lit. That's a great thing. And, um, you know, the, the, the it looks like you could have um, captured a snapshot in time. You don't know that the people were posed because that they look so mm. um, natural. And for me, um, the joy of art is that the learning never stops. And I think that art is one of those genres where the older you get, the longer you learn, the better your art gets. And so you can just keep going until you don't keep going anymore, mm. you know, and keep taking your work uh, to the next level. And so I encourage everyone to look uh, beyond what's uh, insta-famous because often yeah. a lot of these photographers will stop at a certain level and there's a lot of you don't know what you don't know. Mm. And uh, so I think um, you look for excellence in areas that you want to be inspired. And uh, I've got to finish with a quote, Val. <laughs> okay, go on. <laughs> I say, mm -hmm. in a world full of pebbles, dare to be a diamond. You, know, you want to stand out from the crowd okay. and that is working on those little one percenters and trust me, people do notice they, that does stop people in the tracks and all the work that, you know, the people that are listening to this podcast, clearly you want to make your uh, photography stand out and I'm uh, getting a lot of um, correspondence from people who are saying just how much um, they're learning from uh, just by listening to these podcasts while they're leaf blowing, um, chainsawing, <laughs> running, walking, washing dishes, washing windows, all the things that you can do. This is what uh, po what makes podcasts great, that you can learn and um, keep your house clean at the same time. <laughs> what about you, Val? What have you been doing? Oh, my goodness. What have I been doing? Um, <clears throat> I've been working on um, some major projects lately which are now wrapping up, so I am so happy. But it means my to-do list is um, crazy long because there are so many things that um, I have not been a I haven't had the bandwidth to do um, and I'm playing catch up not that exciting is it well it's, it's what we do isn't it we play catch up so yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway um, I think that it's awesome because one of the things that I love most about learning about the one percenters um, from Gina is that she makes things so simple I, I think that regular listeners of the podcast will have gotten quite a lot out of the podcast from different episodes depending on what your area of focus is but for those photographers who are in the gold community 
where she really lays on the one percenters. They're not just one percenters. They're ten percenters. They're twenty percenters. Um, uh, they, they they just get so much out of it as well. So if you're interested in the gold community, have a listen to this. This podcast is brought to you by the gold community. If you're wondering what it's like to be a member of the gold community over at GinaMilitia.com, I asked Mickey Johns why she joined. Before joining the gold community, I was still really timid. I wasn't game enough to put myself out there. When I spoke to you and after joining the community and seeing how much people actually put themselves out there and ask for feedback and, and they want that critique so they can improve themselves, it gave me that confidence boost to go, you know what, it's not a bad thing to have people say negative stuff about your work because otherwise you're not going to know what you need to fix. You're going to just continue to do the same thing and, and you're never going to improve it. The, the community itself is so open and so like inclusive and some people just sit there and they go, I love your work, but then other people go, you know what, you could do this or, or maybe you could try that next time and I found that really, really helpful. But I also love um, your Ask Me Anything because you go through and you actually you personalize the feedback. I'm putting myself out there to ask a question on how to improve that. The way that you go into detail to explain what you're talking about, it's just, it's really good. And I found that really, really helpful. That's probably my favorite part. I would just tell them to jump on it. Like, just get on there. Just, you, you're never gonna know something if you like something, um, unless you experience it yourself. Trust me, it, when you go and put yourself out there and you join a community and you have that sense of belonging somewhere, it's just, it's next level. You, ca- you can't beat it at all. If you'd like to find out more about the Gold community, head to GinaMilitia.com and click on Memberships. All right, so let's move on to this week's topic. What are the best portrait lenses for beginners, enthusiasts and pros? So where do we start on this one, Gina? Because I know that there are a lot of people who love taking portraits because, and sometimes they, sometimes, you know, especially beginners, they start off taking photos of their kids or their grandkids or their dog (laughs) or, or whatever. And then um, they realize, oh, I really enjoy this. I'm quite good at it. And then their friends start asking them if they could take their shots and it kind of grows from there. Um, yeah. But that's, if, if there's one thing that will always be in demand, that will be portrait shots. So where do yes. we start? So it is a, a question that I get asked a lot. And I think to start with, uh, when someone says to me what lens or what camera takes the best photos, I often say, well, I use this lens or this camera, but you have to know that I taught it everything it knows. Okay. So the lens or the camera is a tool and uh, you have to remember that. So when you're an absolute beginner, I encourage you to buy entry level everything so that you get um get uh, comfortable with working with the tools. So, you know, when you're learning to drive, uh, you need a car with four wheels, hopefully, (laughs) (laughs) and a motor and a steering wheel. And it's not going to be 
any advantage to you to get a high-end car. It's just uh, more problems and more bells and whistles, right? So if you've got a Lamborghini parked in the driveway and you're just learning, it's not going to make you a better a driver driving a car will. So uh, just like uh, when uh, my son and daughter wanted uh, to, to buy their first car, you know, uh, they, they were always looking at, and as with me as well, and probably you, Val, what were you looking at when you were wanting to buy your first car? Because I was looking at shiny red sports cars. This one, <laughs> This is my first car and, um, you know, I'm very grateful that my father talked me out of getting the little red sports car because mm-hmm. it would have been um, uh, scratched and dented mm. and you want something that you can learn on, that mm. you can drop and not be too disappointed when you drop it, knock it around, bang it and you don't have to be too precious with. So. I recommend that when you're starting out, it doesn't matter what you start with. Just use, uh, you know, get yourself an entry-level camera and I even recommend that you buy used gear. We don't need to add to the problems of landfill by continually upgrading. You know, camera companies want us to buy the latest and greatest. They want us to consume, but it's perfectly fine to learn on, you know, a model that's three or four years old. It's just what you're paying for when you're paying for the newest model, the bells and whistles, you know, uh, an iPhone uh, 7 or 6 is still going to make phone calls, send texts, be able to surf the internet. It's just a bit of a, a slightly sexier experience when you go up to the iPhone. What are, what are we up to? 12, you know. And you know what? I just tested out the iPhone 12 camera over the weekend. It's not that good, Val. Mm. I'm not that impressed. Really? You know, took a girl, well, zoomed in and I'm like, it's really blurry. Oh. It's like, it's not that great. It's still like, you know, a camera in, you know, it's, it's, it's basically a phone that takes photos. So, you know, it's still not all that. Um, and, you know, for learning on, go with the basics. But, you know, um, the things that you're better off investing um, in are like, you know, investing the time to learn the skills. So like when you get that camera, you want to make sure that eventually you're so comfortable using it that it feels like an extension of your hand. So you want to be bit perfectly fine to buy cheap and cheerful uh, lenses. Uh, I started with uh, really super, super cheap lenses and just made the most. Now, the difference is you're going to notice that uh, like uh, 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 an expensive uh, versus a high-end lens, so uh, sorry, an expensive lens versus a cheap lens uh, is um, the, the more expensive lenses are going to be slightly sharper, Okay, mm. but that I've also tested like entry level lenses versus uh, high end lenses, and the sharpness has to do with uh, the, the the mechanics of the lens. So you know the the autofocus and the way they uh, the light filters through the lens is going to make a, a slight difference because there's a different coating. Uh, you also the cheaper lenses uh, because it's a cheaper quality of glass used in all the elements of the lens. Mm. You might get uh, slight color casts, 
Yeah. These can all be corrected in post. Uh, it might be, an, it's going to be annoying. So like what I recommend is that when um, you start out with the bottom of the line lens, there's going to be a time when your skills uh, catch up and overtake what that lens can do for you. And so that's when you want to then upgrade. So we'll go through uh, all the reasons for that as we get into this uh, podcast. But the other things that you'll find in the more expensive lens uh, they might be uh, a bit more waterproof, so better seals, better uh, Google, you know, like little screws and, and um, mm. attachments, and the way it's all put together, and the weight and the way it feels. It's just all better quality components put together uh, in, a, you know, a, a slightly better way means that they're going to last longer so that you can take this high-end lens and really, you know, take it up to uh, in mountains and take it out in cold weather and hot weather and, you know, put it under pressure, shoot really quickly, and it's going to help you uh, nail that shot. So if you're, if you're, investing in a lens and it's going to be your main way of making money and you've already got the work lined up, then buy the best lens that you can afford. And it's going to um, mean that you'll you'll have less misses in terms of autofocus. So you're going to nail the shot, especially when you're under pressure or it's uh, super backlit or um, you want to capture like fast action. Uh, you're not going to get focus creep. So the cheaper lenses, what happens is, uh, you know the barrel that you turn that focuses the image if you're ever focusing by hand, Val? Mm-hmm, like you can yeah. remember focusing the lens by hand. So when you've got a cheaper lens, right, let's just say that um, you're wanting to take an overhead portrait of someone. So you're going to be, say, standing up on a ladder and shooting straight down and you might have someone lying on their back and you want to get a portrait of their face, which just as an aside, if you're slightly older and you want to get a really good selfie of yourself, right, (laughs) and you want to give yourself an instant facelift, Mm -hmm. Do all your selfies lying down. I <laughs> you think? Gravity. Okay. So what happens is it pushes everything back and uh, <laughs> looks great. So while you're standing on that ladder, ladder, right, and you're facing the camera down and you um, lock focus, what happens with uh, the cheaper made lenses is that that barrel that adjusts the focus is a little bit looser. And what happens is you get uh, this focus creep where it'll just sort of knock itself out of focus. It just slides down, right? So it's little things like that which um, as your skills improve, they're going to start to frustrate you. So um, that's uh, the time when you want to, say, spend a little bit more and also you want that – that, that lens to be able to, you know, cope with the high level of work and being able to, you know, take it out, put it back on and move it around a lot. So that's kind of what you're paying for, all right? But, and a good lens, Val, mm-hmm. should give you 10 to 15 years. So what happens is, like, I've upgraded my cameras. 
I haven't upgraded my lenses for many, many years. I've kept the same lenses. Right. Okay. So that's why it's really important. So the camera sort of outdates itself as the megapixels, like the sensor size gets bigger. And uh, again, the bells and whistles are a bit better. So you get things like, you know, older models don't have a touch screen on the back of the um the camera and that so you can pinch and zoom in and look at your image um whereas the older cameras don't have that uh but the the lens that i bought with the older camera is still the same as uh the lenses i have with my newer cameras no different now um the latest cameras that are coming out where they've got the super sensors and their massive files, you've got like 50 megapixel files, you need, they've created, uh, most of the camera companies have created new lenses that are bigger and fatter that will um, be able to work with these new cameras. Not that the old lenses don't work, but they're just a bit better. So there is new technology out there, which is great news for all of us because that means that all the um, – you know, gadget lovers who love to upgrade every year when the new camera comes out, they get rid of their old lenses, they buy all the new lenses, and there's these perfectly good, perfectly beautifully made lenses that are going for a song. So, again, don't be afraid to buy secondhand gear. It's in most cases, perfectly fine. We've done episodes on what to look out for when you're buying used gear so that you can have a look at those episodes and uh, know what you're looking for so that you don't end up with a lemon. But I'm yet to buy a used lens that is a lemon and I'm pretty happy with that and it's a good way to save a lot of money. So that's what I recommend. Now, all the information that I'm going to share with you today is based on, so when I'm saying a 24 millimeter lens, a 50 millimeter lens, 85 millimeter lens, I'm basing that on using a full frame camera. Okay. Now, a lot of you that are going to have uh, entry-level cameras uh, have something called a crop frame sensor or a crop frame camera. And this is based on uh, the sensor size. So the smaller, less expensive cameras, the sensor, that's the little bit of glass inside the camera that if you take the lens off your camera and have a look inside, you see this little rectangle inside your camera, right? Yeah. That's the sensor. That's where all the that's where all the good stuff happens on that little bit of glass, right? That records the image. Okay. Now the sensor size uh, impacts the size of the file, but it also impacts uh, the reach. Not the focal length, but the reach of the lens. And in the show notes, if you go to GinaMilitia.com uh, under episode 346, there's a diagram that explains the difference. So I've got two cameras. One is full frame, the 5D, and the other is a, a crop sensor, the 77D. And yep. you can see that uh, the full frame, uh, if I point it, uh, it fills the frame with the image. If I was to take the same image with a crop sensor lens, it would only take the middle portion of the image, which I've outlined in green. So, and people often get that confused with um, the focal length. It's not the same. It's basically the reach. So on a crop 
frame sensor, when you use uh, a certain lens, it just means that you're going to get less in the frame. So there's a little formula that I've put also included in the show notes that will say that, like, let's say that you're um, looking at a 24 millimeter on a full frame. It's going to convert the reach of that lens on a 1.5 crop to a 36 millimeter um, length and 1.6 uh, crop, it'll be 38 millimeters. So just uh, beware of that. And so we know when I'm talking about a 50, a 50 on a full frame will have the reach of a 75. So basically, if you're working with a crop sensor, you, you, you'd be thinking about getting a shorter focal length lens because otherwise, um, if you're trying to work with a 100 millimeter on a crop frame sensor, it's like um, it'll have the same reach as a 160 millimeter on a crop sensor, which just means that you're going to have to get back a lot more and you won't be able to use those lenses in tight spaces. So there's a little bit of math that you need to do to compensate for that. But uh, there's a little uh, diagram there. And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're looking at uh, different lenses, just look it up and what, how is this going to look on my crop sensor camera? Does that make sense, Val? Yes, yes. All right. Now, the things that I think about when I'm uh, working out what lens I want to use uh, for my portrait shoots is uh, something called the field of view. And so basically when we talk about the lens, it's the, the field of view that they're talking about when they're saying it's a 24 millimeter lens, it's a 35 millimeter lens, uh, etc. right? So it's the field of view. So let's just uh, stick to the standard rather than the specialized lenses. So Let's just say uh, you've got a 24 millimeter camera. And again, in the show notes, I've got a diagram that shows this at a glance. So let's just say we're taking a bird's eye view where we're hovering above the ground and we're looking down and I am standing and I've got my 24 millimeter lens on my full frame camera. Um, the field of view that, that what that lens sees is uh, an angle of 84 degrees. It's quite wide. So if I'm looking out um, into an area, it's going to um, see far more of the area than when I put a longer lens on. What happens when you use a longer focal length, like let's say a 200 millimeter focal length, is the angle of view is a lot narrower. Now, why does this matter? A couple of reasons. So let's say, Val, that you're the editor, right? And you're commissioning me to do a story on Dave. Okay? okay. Let's give Dave a backstory. Right. Dave's a farmer. He's a farmer. And so um, as part of the brief, you want me to photograph Dave and his farm I, and, and you want to see all his sheep and his goats the landscape, the rolling hills in the background, the farmhouse, and a lot because that's the establishing shot. So it's you want for for your double page spread that opens up the story, mm -hmm. right? A wide shot. Yes. Okay. So I need a wide shot and I need Dave in the frame. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use my wide angle lens, my 24 millimeter lens, and I'm going to have Dave close 
to my camera so that he kind of fills a third of the frame. Okay, so I'll do, um, I'll crop him at that uh, mid thigh and get his cowboy hat in and a, a little bit above his head, some head space, right? And then because I'm using my wide angle lens, standing there behind him, I can see the farmhouse directly behind him and then the three paddocks that he's got his sheep and his goats and his cows, and then beyond, I can see the rolling hills of his beautiful property, okay? So I've got this wide shot that captured everything, okay? And then you said to me, get a tight shot, that's going to be the cover. Now, how do you want the cover to look? How, how do you want um, Dave to be posed for the cover? To one side. Mm-hmm. So that I can What do else? How much of Dave do you side. want to see in the... Yeah, how much of Dave do you want to see for the cover of Farmers Weekly? Oh, okay. So quite a bit of him. Congrats on the promotion, by the way. Oh, yes, thank you. It's a big get. Yeah. yeah. Quite a bit of him because we probably do want to have some story behind him. Not much, not to be fussy, but we want to make it clear he's on a farm. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. So, um, okay. So I've got two choices here. So I've set up that shot. I've got my 24 already on the camera so and you've just asked for um a tighter shot for the cover now remember you've got all your advertisers to keep happy with your cover lines and it's not just the whole magazine's not just about dave so what have you got in this week's issue you've got um you know how to sort the chaff from the wheat (laughs) um i've got how to monitor all of your cows through ai i've got (laughs) um how to survive the drought and the pandemic, um, yeah, and how to clean your um, tractor, your, your gum, and and your gum boots. All right, so there's about five um, titles that are like what are they called when the the bits that go on the front of the magazine? What are they called? By no, so uh, there's the title, the masthead. What's the cover lines? There's about another five on the cover that are going to go with Dave. Now, correct. If I was to use that 24 millimeter lens and just go, I'm just going to fill the frame, I would be practically straddling Dave to fill the frame for that shot, okay? Because I want, I'm using my wide angle lens and I want to get Dave to fill the frame so that it looks good for your cover. A couple of things happen here. When you work with a wide angle lens and you come in really tight to fill the frame, it distorts Dave's face. So suddenly his face will look all distorted and he'll have a big head and a little body. And I'm still, because you've said, I don't want a lot of detail in the background, right? You want a nod to his lifestyle. But if I take a shot where Dave's filling the frame, so I'm standing like a foot away from him to get him, you know, most of his like three quarters of him in the frame using this wide angle lens. I have to be really close, but because of the angle of view, I'm still going to get the house, a lot of the sheep and a lot of the background. And because it's a wide angle lens, the way the wide angle lenses work is Dave's going to be sharp. The background's all going to be sharp. Okay, so I'm going to get sharpness all the way through and suddenly it's a hot mess 
for a cover because everything's sharp and then you're going to have all your how to how to how to clean your gum boots, how to clean your tractor, how to um, sort the chaff from the whatever that line is, and all the other cover lo- right. Okay, mm-hmm. it's a hot mess. Okay, okay. So a better way to do it, and the reason I love shooting long for yeah. portraits is again the angle of view. So when I take off my 24 millimeter lens and I replace it with my 70 to 200, I can now take a shot of Dave where I crop him. I'm going to do a three-quarter shot. He's going to have uh, both his, his hands in his front pockets, right, just sort of hooked in there. He'll sort of be standing there uh, looking really cool, staring us down, okay, and in the background, because I'm shooting long, it means that the longer the lens, uh, the more compression you get in the background. So it's going to compress the background. It's going to throw it out of focus slightly. So suddenly that hot mess of a background that I had with my wide angle lens is going to be compressed. I'm going to lose a lot of the detail, a lot of the annoying detail. And now I've got this uh, creamy, dreamy background. And also because the angle of view goes goes from uh, 84 degrees, right, very wide when I'm shooting on 24 millimeters to 12 degrees, which is just a a small section, right? Mm -hmm. I'm only seeing a little bit of the background, but it's enough. I might have a little bit of his home and a little bit of a paddock, but it's enough of a nod to the background for you and the readers of Farmers Weekly to understand that that's Dave on his farm. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. The other reason I love to use long versus wide when I'm shooting portraits is that it gives me so many more options for backgrounds because when you're shooting with a wide lens, you're taking in everything in the background and it's it's very rare that you're going to get a pristine background that there isn't someone, there isn't a garbage bin in the background or a road sign or a chain mail fence or something ugly in the background. So when you're shooting wide, you're opening yourself up to having to contend with all these um elements in the background that are going to, you know, minimize the the look of your shot. When you shoot long and narrow, okay, the frame, the field of view is much narrower. So um, you can shoot anywhere. So suddenly you can shoot in an alleyway where there's garbage bins on either side. You can shoot um, on an oval where on one side there might be a, um, a sports game happening and on the other side there might be, um, you know, the local school having um, an excursion and they're all standing there. But you've got this narrow Um, area where there's nothing happening, you can get a portrait there. So it opens up so many more options. And so this is one of the reasons why I prefer the longer lenses over the wider lenses. Now, it also comes down to what I want to shoot. So when I'm shooting um, environmental portraits, so I just explained Dave on the farm with the house and the sheep, the establishing shot, go wide, include everything. When you want to shoot um, something and make the portrait sitter, uh, so when you need the background to add sort of depth and meaning to the story, then you want to shoot wide and include the background. But when uh, you want to just make your uh, 
the person that you're photographing, the hero of the shot, then shooting sort of a narrower frame is going to do that because it eliminates all the guff from the, um, the, the, the edges of the frame. Does that make sense? Yes, makes sense. All right. So now we come down to choices. So we always think, well, do I get a zoom or do I get a prime lens? So a zoom lens is like um, lots of lenses combined together. So, you know, my two favorite zooms, the ones that I use all the time are the 24 to 105. And then I've got the 70 to 200. So in two lenses, I've covered all focal lengths from 24 millimeters to 200 millimeters. And honestly, I use these about 80% of the time when I'm shooting. And so, um, when you're shooting with zoom, the advantage of that is you can set up your shots and uh, in one shot without having to move, you can shoot full length, three quarter and tight just by zooming in. So I can shoot at, uh, you know, wide at 24 millimeters. And then so I get my shot of Dave with the farm and everything in the background. And then, all right, I've got to get Val her cover shot mm. so I can zoom in to 105 which is long and narrow and I can get my three-quarter shot of Dave with just the house and a little bit of paddock in the background okay the other thing I love about shooting long is not everyone loves you to be in their physical space so a lot of uh, photographers love shooting at 35 millimeter and I've got one of my um, my little uh, travel camera uh, has a 35 fixed focal length lens on the camera. And when I shoot with that, to get a um, headshot to fill the frame, mm. I'm a foot away from them. Now, if you're not a confident kind of photographer, mm-hmm. that's a lot. That's a very close to be in someone's space. So, um, and also if the person you're photographing is a bit nervous and you're practically like, over the top of them to get that shot that's a lot as well so I love the zoom I love the fact that I am back a bit because it's great for um, when you want to capture children so that they don't know that you're actually photographing them because if you're in their space they know and they might play up also you know um, it couples if you want to capture sort of more intimate uh, couple poses it's a lot harder when you're right in it's like you're the third member of that couple which is you know a lot more difficult so um, the other big difference between um, long lenses and um, the shorter primes is the difference in uh, facial features and so like when you compress the image with the longer lens uh, it gives a slightly different look to um, when you're shooting wide and close when you're shooting wide and close it distorts the face and I've talked about this before but there's something called iPhone or smartphone factor that comes in with portraits everyone loves taking selfies of themselves where they've got their their (laughs) smartphone very close to the face what it does is it makes your face look narrower Mm. and then when you shoot long uh it's more uh realistic a realistic version of what you look like so often a lot of younger people that have grown up only seeing their image on um smartphones don't always like the look of a long lens. So bear that in mind when you may be shooting the next generation of um, senior portraits, just shoot them with a smartphone over the top and they'll love it. Um, So 
The disadvantage of working with zoom lenses are that they're heavier, so it's a it's a it's a heavier lens to schlep around. Uh, the the longer lenses not as good for tight spaces, so you've got to factor in that if you're working in smaller spaces, you're not always going to be able to work with a hundred millimeter focal length or you know even eighty because you just don't have the space to get back. Um, nothing screams. I'm a photographer more than having like a 70 to 200 bolted to the front of your camera. So if you're a street photographer and you want to be inconspicuous, then maybe a shorter lens uh, is the go for you. The one thing that not a lot of people talk about with um zoom lenses Val is how much dust gets sucked onto your sensor by the action of zooming so it's like this this vacuum action so every time Mm. you go from say 24 to 105 and back again you're actually sucking air in through the uh, mm. the mechanics of the camera and onto your sensor. So I find that because I'm using zoom lenses a lot more, I'm actually getting having to um, clean the sensor a lot more because it's sucking the dust in. And then um, finally, uh, the other con of a, uh, a zoom lens is they're far more expensive because it's like having three lenses in one. So you got to factor in all of those things. But like what used to be uh, a no-no for most photographers and and kind of laughed at and something that was considered for the enthusiast uh, is now not the case. So uh, all pros will work with um, uh, zoom lenses uh, unless there are some that are particular and they only like to work with primes. Now, again, it's a tool, so it's not because I say so that you want to use uh, – because I could say – I could rave on and on and on for the rest of the show about my love of zoom lenses, Val. <laughs> and then, you know, someone could go and, and buy one and try it out and absolutely hate it because it might be that you're better suited. The way that you photograph, the way that you like to work is better suited to a prime lens, a fixed lens. I like both. There's something to be said for both. In fact, if I was starting out today, I would only have one lens on my camera and use that for a good year, just that one lens. And the one lens that I would have is something like a 35 or a 50 because it teaches you uh, to think about your composition and to frame in camera rather than just zooming in and out. So it really... um, makes you pre-visualize the shot and use your feet and move in closer. So the other thing that I notice when I'm working with zoom lenses as opposed to prime is there's when you're a lot closer to the subject, you your viewer really feels like they're in the shot. There is something of a disconnect when you're working with zoom lenses because you're, you're way back and you see that uh, it's glaringly obvious when you look at street photography right? So when you see someone who's on the street and they're walking through the crowd and they're getting shots of people where they're, um, you know, a foot away from them, you're in that shot. You're in the moment. It feels like you're part of it. But if someone's way across the street and they're taking that same shot with a 200 millimeter lens, you feel that disconnect. You feel that you're not quite a part of it. You're more of a voyeur. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. All right, so prime lenses are a little bit sharper, not a lot these days, but there is that to factor in. You will get a sort of slightly sharper look with a prime lens. They're a little bit faster because it's not 
um, you know, four focal lengths that you're dealing with. It's just the one uh, single focal length. And this is a great news, much, much cheaper. So again, when you're starting out, just get yourself that prime lens and work with that. And they're also lighter. So one little prime lens on the front of your camera and inconspicuous as well. So you're going to be able to move around the crowd. You don't look like you're a real photographer because you've only got a short lens. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll, it's just a lot less to deal with. So starting out, I probably recommend um, that you start out with a, a prime over a zoom um, to start with. All right? Okay, yeah. So um, for me, uh, the ideal um, when you're ready to upgrade, so I would start with something like a 35 millimeter prime. So that's kind of a, a really good uh, all-round lens. And it's like if you look at most of the images on my Instagram, which is where I share my personal projects, the majority of those are shot with either 24 millimeter focal length or 35 millimeter focal length. So I shoot, I'm very close to the people and um, I like to have a, a bit of the background. So a lot of environmental portraits, I like to shoot with a shorter lens. Um, so if you were just starting out today, I'd probably recommend something like a 35 millimeter or the good old 50 millimeter uh, prime lens uh, with a uh, an aperture of 1.8 and so it's like about a hundred bucks you'll be able to pick one of those up you will pay slightly more if you get a faster lens so 1.8 is standard like you know sort of entry level if you go to um, 1.4 or 1.2 as the widest aperture uh, you're going to start getting up around the $1,500 mark for 1.2 why would you want that that wider aperture well it means that the lens is faster what does that mean a faster lens means that you can shoot in lower light so if you're a photographer that does lots of events, weddings, um, you know, uh, lifestyle photography, and you love that sort of dreamy, out-of-focus background look, then um, using that uh, uh, wide-open aperture is going to give you that, and it means that you can uh, shoot in a lot more uh, low lighting situations. Again, big jump from 100 bucks to 1500 So if you're just learning, I recommend you get the... Uh, you start out with the 50mm 1.8, nifty 50, and then as as you just go, oh, just wish I had a little bit more light here. I wish I could just open up a stop. As you start to get more and more frustrated, you might want to upgrade to a 1.4 or a 1.2, and again, check out what deals you've got in um, – uh, the secondhand range because there are lots of uh, lots of those around. And again, um, your thir 35 mil prime, like something new, is going to set you back about six to eight hundred bucks. Uh, so worth investing in. Uh, my 85 millimeter, I love it for portraits. Uh, here's the difference: 1.8 as a as the widest aperture is going to be about 400 bucks compared to about two grand for 1.2. So um, that that that's a big difference. And the 85 1.2 for that sort of money, when you're not quite um, used to focusing in low light and you haven't quite 
taken the training wheels off. Is just money wasted at this point. So you'd be better off going back to the cheaper 1.8, get your head around that, learn to use it, and then, then that lens becomes a spare lens and then you can invest in the better glass. Does that make sense, Val? Yeah, cool. All right, so... There's also lots of third-party lenses around. So what by third-party, um, you know, you could uh, you look at uh, like Tamron and Sigma and as opposed to like the name brands like your uh, Canons or your, your Nikons, um, the name brands are also going to be more expensive. Third-party lenses used to be poo-pooed a lot uh, as kaka, <laughs> but not so much now. They're actually – all those companies are making good lenses. I'm not sponsored by any of them. This is all from my personal experience. I have worked with Sigma lenses. I do rate them. I think they're, they're great and the savings are considerable, so you want to think about that. I reckon everyone should have a macro in their kit. So last week we did a, a tutorial on how to photograph high-end looking products with entry-level gear. If you want to do uh, some tabletop uh, photography or supplement your portrait photography business with some product photography, you can't go wrong with a macro lens and you can pick one up for about 500 bucks and they're great for products, for jewelry. So even if you're, um, let's say, a wedding photographer but you're also doing those behind the scenes or a lot a lifestyle editorial photographer and you're doing like you know dave on the farm right we've got the cover shot we've got the wide shot you've also asked for some detail shots for fillers through the story right so let's just say i want to get like a nice macro shot of the buckle of the saddle that he uses to ride the horse with i could get the the detail using the macro lens mm -hmm. right or let's just say Dave uh, Farmer wants a wife, he's getting married, uh, I could get a shot of the rings, uh, the, engage, the, the, the wedding rings on, uh, you know, on a, a rustic table and get a nice detail. I would use the macro lens. They do come in handy. They're worth having in the kit. Um, there's a lens that everybody loves, 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 and everybody recommends it, and I'm the only person who doesn't like it. That's a 24 to 70. I don't know why. Uh, I just never use this lens. I've got it, uh, and uh, most people love it, so I'll put it in there, but I don't ever use it. Uh, 24 to 70 f2.8, very handy for events uh, and things like that, so that's also worth having. The one lens that I love that I would um, marry probably <laughs> is the 24 to 105. I think this is uh, considered in the Canon range as a kit lens and it's it's the most underrated lens uh, in the Canon family, I believe. And again, not sponsored. This is just the lens that I use more than anything. I use it a lot um, in my environmental portraits. I use it a lot for editorial. Uh, I use it a lot for portraits. I just think it's a bargain at around 600. You can get them secondhand for a lot less. It's great for events because you've got the wide at 24 and the long at 105. It covers everything. If you was shooting an event and you could only use one lens, I would use the 24 to 105. And the other thing I love, it has got like a little bit of macro to it. So it actually allows you to fill the frame and shoot a lot tighter than a lot of the other lens allow me to. So that, uh, and if you can find that in the equivalent in other brands, then I would go for that. And then of course, 
There's uh, the lens that I love to death and is probably my workhorse is the 70 to 200 f2.8. I just think it's fantastic. There is, with this lens, 2.8 makes it super fast, right? So it means that you can use it for still photography, you can use it for events, fantastic for weddings, fantastic for covers, fantastic for commercial shoots. It's just a good all-round lens. If you were to buy the same lens with a maximum aperture of f4 instead of f2.8, you're going to um, get a significant price drop. So these are things that you want to weigh up. And I think when you're starting out, that f4 to 2.8, it's not going to bother you until you get down the track and you say wanting to start to photograph sporting events or fast-moving subjects when you need that little bit of extra light and you don't want to be upping your ISO. But Honestly, in today's day and age, the cameras are getting so much better at recording in low light that you can almost get away with having that f4 instead of the f2.8. And again, this is the one lens that you will find online fairly cheaply because people buy it and then they hate having it on their camera because it's so heavy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so again, if you're on a tight budget, um, have a look at buying secondhand and look at those lenses that I just listed. If you're unsure about whether you're going to like the lens or not, the only way to find out is to actually try it. So there are a lot of companies uh, around the world that you can um, – you know, online, you can um, order a lens, they'll send it to you, you can use it for the weekend, obviously for a fee, uh, and then you send it back. That is the best way to get to know a lens. Have it, use it for a few days and see if you like it. I've had lenses recommended to me that, oh my God, this lens is just the best and I've gone out and used it and I've hated it. Mm. So it really is a personal thing with tools. It's just like the, the keyboard that certain people like to use or the type of monitor or even even the way your camera is configured. Some people love mirrorless. Other people hate it because it just doesn't feel intuitive. It is a really personal thing. So go with the one that's going to get you out and working um, all the time. So if that happens to be a fixed focal length lens, then so be it. And, and as I said at the start, no one lens is going to make you a better photographer. What's going to make you a better photographer is shooting. Okay, so what lens gets you out the most is the one that you want to upgrade to. So to finish, Val, if I would have, uh, I, I could only buy one lens to start with, it would either be the 35 or the 50, okay, then I would add a 24 to 105 and then, so you're buying uh, as you go along. So you're starting out, start out with the 50, then maybe get yourself a 24 to 105. And this is for portrait photographers. Then I'd get a 70 to 200. And then I'd probably invest in the 85, which is pretty much a luxury, but nice to have. And just on a final note, Val, one of the things that you want to do with your lenses because uh, they're a considerable investment is to protect your gear. So when you're not using those lenses, take them off the camera and put the lens cap and the rear cap on. Don't just leave them rolling around in the camera bag without the lens cap because they do get uh, scratched, they get chips, um, they might get um, mould on them and things like that. So if you're in a place that is a bit damp, um, then make sure that you follow all the protocols 
holes to reduce mold, keep them in, um, store them in dry places, add those little uh, silica little bags that take the moisture out of your camera bag. And um, the other thing that I highly recommend, and a lot of people take these off when they get the lens, is the lens hood. People find them annoying, but they actually protect your lens. So it's a little extra little bit of plastic that goes on the end of the lens, right? And the idea for the lens hood is it's supposed to stop lens flare getting on the camera. But the other thing about having that lens hood on the camera, on the lens, is if you're if you've got your camera slung over your shoulder and you're walking through a location and there might be a bench that you come past that's just at lens level, um, it'll chip the lens if that the, the say the edge of a bench knocks into your lens right. But if you've got the lens hood on, then there's an extra like you know ten centimeters, few inches of uh, buffer between the lens and the front glass. And so it'll knock the lens hood, not the glass. And so you've protected uh, your lens. They're a big investment um, worth uh, worth protecting. So that's a little, my little feelings about like the best portrait lenses and uh, why uh, I like them and uh, what you should be looking for, Val. That was a uh, great deep dive into into portrait lenses. Fantastic. I think that um, so much to get out of it. And if you are starting out, you know, um, just keep it simple, as Gina said, and uh, look at don't go for the Lamborghini on the first go in case Mm. you wreck it. Um, Learn on something a little bit uh, more entry level because before long um, you'll then, you know, you'll get more out of it. You'll learn quicker basically. So I love it okay yeah. fantastic so and and i want to hear what are your favorite lenses for the listeners so um if you want to share your go-to kit uh or your dream kit mm. um share share it with us in the um podcast facebook so just group. go to so facebook can... and search for so you want to be a photographer podcast community and request to join we'd love to have you in there All right, fantastic. Well, we're at the end of this week's episode. Where do we find you online, Gina? You can find me at Gina Militia. That's uh, ginamilitia.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm at Gina Militia on all social media. And if you want to take your photography to the next level, I'd love the opportunity to work with you. You can go and check out the gold community by going to ginamilitia.com and click on memberships. What about you, Val? Uh, You can find me and possibly you can hear my cat Rocky who's going nuts in the background, but you can find (laughs) me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.